Welcome on this warm morning, Father's Day too. So I guess we want to heat it up and enjoy our Father's Day and good summer weather. Glad you're here worshiping with us in person and on streaming. And we'll ask you to rise for the call to worship printed in your bulletin. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Join me in prayer. Lord, we've gathered as your people, confident that you are here with us as you promised you would be. We also believe you delight in our praise and you hear our prayers. So, Lord, we open our hearts to receive a vision of you and your love for us and the whole world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is great to see you as we gather for worship today, and uh, we want to invite you to take a few moments and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship this morning.
Our scripture reading from the Old Testament is taken from Isaiah chapter 10. I think you need to be here for the sermon, so I think you're not leaving, to uh, maybe see how this fits in. An interesting passage, Isaiah chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What will you do on the day of reckoning when disaster comes from afar? To whom will you run for help? Where will you leave your riches? Nothing will remain but to cringe among the captives or fall among the slain. Yet for all this, his anger is not turned away. His hand is still upraised. This is the word of the Lord. Stand with me for the singing of the doxology and then the receiving of the tithes and offerings. Bless these offerings, we pray. You, Lord, are the most generous with your grace. Make us generous with our lives and our time and our energy and with all that you have given us. In your name we pray. Amen. Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed on the screen this morning. Let us pray together. Most gracious and loving Father, we cannot hide or deny our sin any longer by our self-centered decisions and our self-centered disobedience. We know that we fall short of your glory. We see how we hurt one another. We hear your children's cries for help, but do not respond. We feel the burden of sin all around us, yet we are so focused on ourselves that we give little time or energy to others. We doubt your unconditional love for us and your everlasting desire for us. Father, forgive us. Turn us from self-focus to Christ-focus. Open our eyes to see and to hear your passionate yearning for us. Lead us in the way everlasting through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers today. Our prayers of confession and honesty. Our prayers of thanksgiving and praise. 
and our prayers about the needs of our lives and this world. This morning, Father, we come with a wide variety of concerns and burdens. Some of us here this morning come with hearts that are grieving. Pain and loss of life. eats away at us, burdens us. We pray that you will bring comfort into our grief. Others are here today and uh, with a recognition of our own and others' health concerns. Today, Father, we pray for Patty Plaza, Brian Orbaker, Peter Lingenfelter, Ellis Brotsman, for Brian Maston and Chuck Barrett, for Joe Breton, Cheryl O'Brien, Storer Emmett, Ben King. For Doris Sepian and Isla Shea, Sheldon Emerson and Laurel Buecher. For Bill Getty and Warren and Ella Woolsey. For Phil Muker, Mike Raybuck, Everett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Dick Gould, Emily Crickler. Others who may be on our hearts and our minds today, we ask for your healing grace upon them. We thank you for the the work that you're doing in our church as we serve one another. And we thank you for the work you're doing in other churches. We pray today for the Anchor Church in Buffalo and Pastor Johnson. This congregation that has been together for uh, just a little over a year. We pray that you will anoint the believers who gather in this church. We pray that they they will serve you and serve one another in a way that will... Uh, Allow them to serve their community and others as well. We pray, Father, for our nation, the needs that we have as a nation and the, the struggles that we're going through right now. We pray for our world. There's so many people who live in dangerous settings, people who have been affected by by natural disasters and violence and turmoil and pain. We pray that you will bring healing and grace to bear. We pray for people who are refugees, who have been forced from their homeland. We pray that you will protect them and that you will create the atmosphere to allow them to return home. And Father, we know that that there are many people in this world who, who struggle with life. And we pray your grace and, and help upon each of them. We pray for your church around the world. We think, Father, of our brothers and sisters who live and worship in places where they face great opposition and persecution. Today, we think of this minority people group who have fled their homeland of Myanmar and living in refugee camps in Bangladesh. And now are dealing with the effects of a recent cyclone. Lord, we pray that you will help them and everyone who is involved everyone who's been affected by this, to know your healing grace. And we pray that your people, your church, would be such a presence of hope and healing and help through your Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for the work that is being done to help others around the world come to know the joy of you. We pray for Don Little and Ben Hegeman as they have begun extensive travels in many places of the world And we ask that your grace would be upon them. Protect them as they travel. Give them energy and strength as they share and teach. And and may they encourage those they encounter and be encouraged by them. Gracious Father, on this day when we honor our earthly fathers, we give you thanks for the gift of family. We recognize that there are no perfect families because none of us are perfect. And for some of us, Thinking about fathers may be a negative image. For others, it is the most joyous uh, vision that we can think of. Lord, in either case, remind us that you are with us and you love us. Lord, as as we have opportunity to embrace and engage family, remind us anew that you are our loving Heavenly Father. And we ask, Father, that you will help those of us who are fathers. 
Help us to live so closely to you that we continually reveal you to our children and others around us in every way that we can. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers. We offer them in the strong and powerful name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which we now pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. After uh, the scripture, during the song, the children are dismissed to children's church. Now, would you stand, if you are able, to join us for the scripture reading from the gospel? Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who, was neither fear, who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? This is the word of the Lord.
Please be seated. There are a number of things about being a, uh, a Christian that I haven't yet figured out. And I have a hard time understanding exactly how Jesus can be fully God and fully human. I've had a hard time understanding the, the, uh, the, the way in which God created out of nothing. I have a hard time understanding why anyone would think that coming to church wearing a suit coat in the middle of summer was a good idea. So I'm going to do that. We'll take that off. It's one of the great theological questions of, the, of our times. One of the other things I really struggle to figure out, to get a handle on, is this whole idea of prayer. Do you ever have that feeling? You know, it, it seems like I, I just sort of understand it. I, I sort of get a handle on, on a, a facet of prayer, and then something else pops up, and I think, oh, man, I don't know what to do with that. And so I work on that part of it for a little while, and, and I feel like, okay, I think I've understood that significantly, and then something else pops up, and I think, oh, I didn't think about that. And it, and it feels like that you never get to the end of understanding this concept, lots of concepts, but particularly this concept of prayer. And I suspect that is because prayer is so tied in to the nature of God and the mystery of God and understanding the fullness of God. And it makes me realize that we'll probably never quite get to the end of it. Because then we would understand everything as God does. But even as we recognize that truth, we also recognize that God does teach us a lot about prayer. And the scriptures have a great deal to say about prayer and and particularly about answers to prayer. I think that's one of the things that we wrestle with. Why does God answer? Why did God not answer this prayer? Or why did he answer that prayer that way? I'm not really understanding that. How It feels like God doesn't hear me. It feels like God doesn't respond to me. And we have these questions about prayer and the way God answers prayer. And, and I suspect there are very few people in the world, even people who don't make a claim about Jesus, who wrestle with this idea of prayer. Because there's something innate in us that believes that there, is, there is a being that we can go to when we're in need. And Jesus talks a lot about prayer. And one of the places he addresses the idea of prayer is here in Luke chapter 18. Jesus uh, is telling another one of his stories, his parables. And Luke tells us right off the bat, this is what the story is about. Now, you have to wonder, it sort of feels like he may have ruined the story. It's like, it's like reading a novel and the first chapter says, okay, here's who did it at the end. Now you want to read the novel. Well, not really. I already know, right? But, it, but it's, a, it's a teaching moment. And so he says right up front, one day Jesus told his disciples a story, a parable, to show that they should always pray and never give up. And the question that keeps going around in my mind as I'm thinking about that is, how does the story show them that? How does this story, this parable that Jesus tells, help them and more importantly help us understand why we should always pray and not give up? Because it's kind of a strange story, particularly as Jesus tells it. The story is about a judge. Judges in the ancient culture have all the power They have power to decide what's going to happen in a person's life. They have power to release someone to freedom or to imprison them or to crush them. They have a tremendous amount of power. And in this story, Jesus describes a judge that if I ever have to go to court and to stand in front of a judge, I hope it's not this guy. Because Jesus says he he has no respect for God at all doesn't care a thing about God. God means nothing to him. If God is angry with them, with him, who cares? And he doesn't care a thing about people either. 
People don't like me. I don't care. I don't care a thing about people. I don't care about their problems. I don't care about their needs. I don't care about justice. I don't care about righteousness. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm just thinking about myself. And I will make decisions based on what's best for me. Not what's best for people. Not what the law says. Not what is just or right. I don't care a thing about it. And if God judges me for that, well, he'll get over it because I don't care about him either. I mean, this is not the kind of judge you hope to appear before. It's an oddity. Some people would say that this could not be an Israelite judge because no judges in Israel would, would, react, would act this way. You go back to Exodus chapter 18 and Moses has a, has a, was visited by his father-in-law. And his father-in-law watches him hearing every case of every person among, what, a million, half, two million Israelites? And he says, you can't keep this up. You need, to, you need to have some people help you. And he says, you need to find some men who fear God and who are trustworthy. People who will not be bribed, who will make fair, righteous decisions. And that's what Moses does. That's what a judge in Israel is supposed to be. That's what a judge is supposed to be like. And Jesus paints a picture of a judge who is the exact opposite of that. But he also talks about a widow. Now, if you have at one extreme judges who have a tremendous amount of power, you have at the other extreme widows who are the most vulnerable adults in society. They are, they are people who are taken advantage of. They have little if few rights. They, in that culture, it would be very unusual for a widow to be able to own property. To, to be considered uh, a leader in the family, to make her own decisions. It was a very patriarchal society, and widows were at the far end of that culture. They were politely ignored. Jesus talks about the religious leaders who steal the homes of widows, who take everything they have. And the reason they do that is because, quite simply, they can. They can do it. They have power, the widows don't, and they can manipulate the system to take, their, take all of what they have. And so you have this widow who has, who's ignored and vulnerable coming to a judge who has power, but who cares nothing for her. And Jesus says in this story, the widow is seeking justice from her enemy. Somebody who is after her, her adversary, someone who's trying to take advantage of her. Take advantage of her situation. And he keeps coming to the judge to get justice. And the judge keeps saying, I don't care. Stop bothering me. I don't care. Get away from me. But she's driving him crazy. Every day he gets up. There she is standing outside of his door. Will you give me justice today? Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? He walks to his office. Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? He comes out for lunch. Will you give me justice? Will you give me justice? Goes home at night. Will you give me justice? He goes to bed, looks out the window. There she is, sitting on his front porch. Will you give me justice? I mean, she's relentless. And finally, he can't take it anymore. One translation says, this woman is driving me crazy. And I have, I'm going to give her what she wants. And it's not because I care about justice. It's not because I care about her. It's not because I care about God, because I don't. She's just driving me crazy and I can't take it anymore. And, and the word that's translated... In the NIV, it talks about her being, she may come and attack me. That word that's used there, it's, it's nuanced in other translations, but it, it has its history in the boxing ring. It is a word that describes someone who lands a punch and the result of that, which is often a black eye. And so he's saying, I'm getting sick and tired of this woman because she is giving me a black eye. She is bugging me, pestering me, driving me crazy. And I'm tired of being pummeled by her. I got bruises all over me. I'm not doing it anymore. And so he gives her justice. And Jesus says, be like the widow. Which is ironic enough because for Jesus to say, I want you as, as my followers Here's, who, here's whose behavior you, you pattern your life after, your prayer life. 
the most vulnerable, ignored person in all of society. And I can just see the disciples going, really? I mean, we don't like the judge, but we'd kind of rather be like the judge with power. No, you'd be like the widow. So we come back to the original question. How does this story accomplish Jesus' mission, his purpose of encouraging us to always pray and not give up? And the moral of the story must be, if you want to get what you want, you have to pester God until you get it. It makes me think of when I was small. Sometimes when I wasn't so small. But I think this image in my mind that after church on Sunday, my mom is talking to someone and I want her attention. I want to ask her something. Usually it had something to do with can I go play with my friends. And she's engaged in a conversation and I've been told very clearly, I know this, you don't interrupt. You can get in big trouble for interrupting. So I don't interrupt. So, but I really need an answer like now. They're all waiting for me. So I don't really have time for this conversation. So what do you do? The next best thing. Mom. Mom, 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 right? Either you've done it or it's been done to you or both, right? And finally, she says, what? I didn't mean to interrupt, but can I go play? You know, yes, get out of here. I remember one time doing that to my mom and she got so frustrated. She turned around and she goes, what, 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 what? <laughs> Hit me on the shoulder, you know. Stop doing that. I'm not a pincushion. You know, it makes me think of... When I was little, my, I'd ask my dad if I could do something. And, you know, I, it was one of those things that I thought, I don't know if he's going to say yes or no. I'm not quite sure what he thinks about this. And he grew up in Kentucky, and they have a phrase in Kentucky. I heard his mother say it many, many times. So yeah, I asked him, can I go do this with my friends? And he's sort of like, I don't really know if that's a good idea or not. And his response was, I reckon. And I remember the first time walking away thinking, did that mean yes or no? Because I'm not really sure. It sounds like yes, but it also sounds like no. And it's sort of this sense of God's, we best pester God long enough and he says, I reckon. I don't really want to give it to you. I don't really think it's a good idea, but you're driving me crazy, so here you go. That seems like the moral of the story, right? No. That's not the moral of the story. I've heard people interpret that as the moral of the story. But that's not the moral of the story. It is not. Jesus is not saying, if you bug God long enough, if you pester God enough, he will give you what you want. That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, look, if a, if a vulnerable, ignored widow has enough faith that she will keep coming to a judge who doesn't care a thing about her to get what she believes is justice. How much more should we come to our Father who loves to do good things for us? God is not like all the gods of all the other nations around Israel who has to be cajoled and bribed and tricked and manipulated into giving good things to their people because they don't like their people. They don't want to have anything to do with their people. They're a nuisance. Their people are a nuisance. They're only good for serving them and doing things for them. Only Yahweh is the God who says, I love doing good things for you. I often will do good things for you before you even ask me. I love to do that. Can you believe that I am a God of love and grace and mercy and goodness and faithfulness? You can trust me. Actually, this, this parable is trying to correct our skewed view of God. Because so often we live with a view of God that we have to force him to do good things for us. And we do it subtly. We do it carefully. We try not to be too pagan about it. But we still think that way sometimes. 
If I just do enough of this, God will be good to me. If I go to church enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I give enough, these are all good things. All things that help us in our journey with Jesus. But we do them not so that God might look favorably upon us. We do them because God already looks favorably upon us. And, and the life of prayer that Jesus is describing here is intended to connect us with God. And to help us understand who God is. That he is who he says he is. It reminds us, it corrects this view, a skewed view of God. And it helps us to understand that from the very beginning, God's design for his people is flourishing. It's life. It's abundant life. It's joy. It's everything good that we could possibly imagine and a zillion times more. You look at the book of Genesis, the very first two chapters, when God creates everything and particularly human beings, it says, go and multiply, flourish. That's why I created you in every single way. And when you get to the end of Revelation, chapters 21 and 22, and you get an image of the new heaven and the new earth, it is an image of flourishing. As Jesus comes and restores what God intended from the very beginning. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to flourish. But the only way we can flourish is in him. In the one who created us and who wants the very best for us. And so we keep coming to God with our, our prayers, with our needs and our burdens and our struggles in life. Because we believe that's who God is. And it builds relationship with our creator. And that's why Jesus says when he gets to the end of this story, when the son of man returns, when Jesus himself reappears, he's looking for this kind of faith. The kind of faith that says, I believe this is who God is so much so that I want to give everything about my life to him. And everything about my life I bring to him because I know he is trustworthy and faithful and good. And I believe that when God doesn't answer, answer prayers the way I want him to, it's because he sees my life in a way that I can't see it. When God answers prayer in a way that I wish he wouldn't, it's because God knows that my idea of what is best is temporal and limited and skewed. And his idea of best is flourishing and life and blessing. And sometimes to get to that, just like anything else in life, to get to what we hope to accomplish, there is a lot of pain and struggle and difficulty getting there. And it will mean sacrifice. It will mean trust, which is why Jesus keeps talking about faith. But we keep bringing our prayers to him. And actually, it's easy to look at a story like this and think, this is about one particular thing in my life that I keep bringing to God. And it may be that. But it's really bigger than that. It's, it's really about life. It's about all of life. That all of life becomes sort of an act of prayer to God. That, our, we, that we do it so much that our first response becomes prayer. That our first, that our first reflex is to look to God. That, that whatever happens throughout our day, the good and the bad, the joys and the sorrows, we are continually thinking about God in the midst of those things. It's particularly important when life is hard and difficult. In chapter 17, Jesus is talking about that day when he will return. He's talking about the time leading up to that and, it, and he describes it as a very tumultuous, turbulent, difficult time, and especially for his followers. Jesus is very clear to tell us, if you're one of his followers, be ready for difficulty. Be ready for opposition, struggle, pain, just like he goes through. And he says, in that day, it will get more and more intense. 
And you will feel crushed. And you will wonder, God, where are you? What are you doing? And then he says, now, let me tell you how to handle that. Always pray and don't give up. Always pray and don't give up. Keep bringing your life, your burdens, your struggles to God. And we do that because we believe God is who he says he is. He's good and merciful and loving and gracious and trustworthy and faithful and kind. And yes, and that he has a bigger image of life than we do. But that he always wants what is best for us. And the more we do that, there is sort of this the cyclical process. The more we keep, we keep trusting God with our lives, the more we see how trustworthy God is with our lives. And the more we understand how trustworthy God is with our lives, the more we trust him with our lives. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And here's the thing that I've learned through the years. People I've known, people I've read about. The great saints that I've ever known and ever read about were always people who prayed like this. They were the kind of people that the minute something happened, their first recourse was to pray. They might not have spoken a word out loud, but they were praying in their spirit. The first sign of difficulty, they prayed. Because they trusted God. They had lived a life of persistence in bringing everything about life to Him. And they trust Him. And the more we do that, the more we find reasons to do that. It's really what this table reminds us of. I mean, this, this, table, this table reminds us why we keep trusting God with our lives in prayer. Because at this table, we see the clearest evidence of the nature and the character of God. That He loves us so deeply... And that he wants the very best for us. That he would send his son to die for us. To stand in our place and take what we deserved and build a bridge and to cleanse us and to set us free. This is the God that we keep trusting our lives to and never giving up. This table is not just about what God has done. It's about what God has promised to do. When we eat and we drink, we are giving thanks for God's grace and faithfulness in the past. And we are, we are declaring our trust in God being faithful in the future. I have no idea what this morning you may be wrestling with. Maybe it's a burden in your life, maybe about somebody else. Maybe it's an answer to prayer that just isn't what you want it to be. Maybe it's just your life in general. But let me encourage you. Let me encourage you to to see who God is. And to hear Jesus' words. That it is always, always good to pray and not give up. Father, we thank you for the promises you make us. And we ask that you will help us today to get a clearer image of who you are. Your faithfulness, your goodness. And that we can trust you. Open our eyes. Help us to see. 
Give us a deeper want to. Father, this morning we pray your anointing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. We pray that it will be food for our souls. That it will will remind us of your faithfulness in the past. And inspire us to trust you about your faithfulness in the future. We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, meeting with his disciples, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father in heaven and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup. Again he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction. simply means to dip in. As you're released by rose, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. And then you may return to your seat by the outside aisle. The altar rails always open if you would like to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your row. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you'd like those, let me know as you come forward. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ and with a desire to to know Christ and to trust him come receive these gifts more gracious loving heavenly father
receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you.